Hello and welcome to the Mental Health Gaming Podcast once again. I'm Bradley and I'm just having a look and Ziggy says there's a 96.8% chance that my guest this week will be Stu. How you doing Stu? Not too bad. Yeah, very sad news about Dean Stockwell this week. Um, it seemed like a, a really nice guy. I first saw him in, well, I might have seen him in older stuff, but what I first remember him from is the film Blue Velvet by David Lynch. Yes. And, um, yeah, absolutely fabulous thing and uh, very dark, disturbing film, but he's amazing in it. And he, he kind of, he's responsible for the mo- probably the most famous scene in it as well. And yeah, of course, then Quantum Leap, where he was a very... Nice, you know, pleasant character and kept the humour going. So, yes, a, a sad a sad loss, really. Yes. But he did have about 80 wives in Quantum Leap as well. We know that. Because he would often talk about wife number four, wife number six and so on. <laughs> yeah. I, he never made it sound like that was a good thing, though. <laughs> no, no, no. But he, he, he was, um, when I was younger and I wanted an Im- I had an imaginary friend, I used to pretend it was Al. Oh. I did imagine every friend and he was Al. So, <laughs> um, yeah, he was uh, part of my formative years, shall we say. Uh, but yeah, cool. It's sad, but he leaves so many great memories. Indeed. Uh, yes, he does. Yes. Uh, usually we have a nice bit of banter, but today um, what I want to do is there's a, a friend of both of ours, someone who listens to the show, and he's, as far as I'm concerned, part of the MHG family, has been there since day one supporting us. They are going through a terrible time at the moment with personal issues. And I just want to put out there that we love you. And whatever you need, we are there for you. And you are always in our thoughts. So please look after yourself. I'm assuming you echo the same, Stu. Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah, we really hope they, you know, can have the the best out of the situation that is always difficult. And just to know that there are lots of people there for them. Yeah. So anyway, I'm not even going to try a comedy segue. As usual, we do talk about games first. And just to mix it up a bit, it might not be because last week I think I went first last week as well. But I'm going to go first. Uh, So I don't care what you've been playing, Stu. Yeah, well, well, let's flip it then. So, Brad, Brad, yes. what have yes. you been playing? I've been playing video games. Oh, that's good to hear. <laughs> yes. Um, so the first one I'm going to talk about is Gambeasts, which people go, why is he talking about Gambeasts? It's like, Brad doesn't do the retro stuff. That's usually Stu. <laughs> uh, but Gambeasts recently came out on the Nintendo Switch. Um, is, is Game Beast retro? I don't know. It's been out a few years, hasn't it? It's one of those that was in early access for many years. That throws you right off with the timeline, doesn't it? It's just like, what the, when the hell? Yeah. Yeah. It was like, I'm sure it was out before like the PlayStation 4 was a thing, like in early access. But anyway, um, I've been playing it on the Switch and it's it's good. It doesn't, honestly, it doesn't run as well as it does on the PC. But I think we've got to the point with the Switch now where you accept that. Um, to a degree, you accept some rough around the edges, and that's part and parcel of playing games on a Switch. We are ready, I think, soon for a, for a, an upgrade or you know a Switch Pro or whatever. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, playing it, it's great fun. Kids love it. It's just pure, unadulterated messing around. Um, and games sometimes just need to be that. 
and he's got all the different modes. Um, it doesn't matter who wins because rounds are quick. The physics on it, even though it's like a physics-based thing, are completely out of kilter, and that, that gives you some funny moments. Um, and it, it's really weird because I've played other phys- physics-based games that are meant to be low random, but they just feel off and crap. But Game Beasts manages it, and I think because what it does... Even though the physics aren't like real to life, it grounds it just enough. And I, I just really like playing sort of like in like the wrestling ring type ones and stuff like that because it's it feels more like an actual battle royal than like Royal Rumble part um, modes in wrestling games do. It just feels right. Yeah. It's, yeah, and it's just, I, I just love it. The idea of it just works really, really well. It's great fun, great to play with the kids because you don't need to have any skill as a gamer whatsoever. Just got to get used to sort of like what the buttons do and anyone can win. And as we're coming up to Christmas, perfect party game. Really is a perfect party game. And on the Switch, obviously, you can immediately go to two players because you don't need any extra controllers if you've got your two Joy-Cons. Yeah. So, you know, it's like straight away you could like obviously we all know it could get a bit crampy when you've got a single Joy-Con, but it's enough. It's enough to have a fun time for 20 minutes, half hour. Uh, but that's what Game Beast does. Really, yeah, really fun conversion, really fun conversion. Bit of rough around the edges, but yeah, good. Cool. Yeah, I think I think we mentioned it last week that when you start playing these things on the Switch, you're not really wanting or expecting something absolutely premiere or top tier unless it's a nintendo game you're just glad that it works and it's got a great form factor like you say especially the original because i've got got the switch Lite, so it's not got detachable joy cons but Mm. that's because i never ever connect it to a you know monitor or a telly and i never play party games because i don't have any friends sniff sniff yes and um but for kids yeah no that's great and it doesn't have to look amazing but i did it did make me think of a question for you actually mm-hmm. when you're talking about it do you and particularly the kids ever still play fall guys no right, right. gets mentioned every now and again but no right it will get a renaissance it's due to come on switch um, and it will get a renaissance. I think the only reason we don't really play it is because it means setting up the PC um, and, and trying to get like people on the PC, and that could be a pain. I think once it's on the Switch, we've got two in the ha- in the in the flat. One that I use, and then one like Edith uses because she can't get it all grimy. My one, <laughs> yeah. So I think once that comes on Switch, then I've got a feeling it will get a bit more use from us on there. Although I do wonder if it will come because it's been a while now and I'm wondering what issues there might be getting it to work or if they're looking at it and going, oh, our numbers are down. Yeah, do you think? I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's too big a question for me to even ask, I think, to it's why, not, why yeah. it would be delayed. It might be a, an issue with timing or it might be an issue with, yeah, capacity or God knows, but yeah. I could see them, I could see them launching it the week before Christmas. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, you've got everyone's getting you, like, well, people will be getting you switches and that's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a great one to have on there. Um, so I, I don't know what's happening what's happening with it. It was fun, but not enough that I want to go back to it. It doesn't have, like, the longevity of your Fortnite, your Rocket Leagues or anything like that. I don't think... The problem is 
those sort of things have been done before. And the thing I found with Fall Guys is after a while, it was very, very samey. Very samey. Yeah. And I couldn't be bothered to go like if i'm sitting down at the pc i'm wanting to play something whereas if it was just there on a console on my switch i might go ah go on then i've got five minutes yeah yeah there's an there's an enormous draw to the handheld version so just that quick resume type thing and you're immediately there and you're not consuming one of the screens in the house you know apart from on the handheld and you can drag people over and go hey look at this you know get pick up this controller blah 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 it just all seems well fit for that. And uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad that Gang Beast is doing the same. Well, not the same thing, but you know, got that party thing. Yeah. I, just thinking actually, whilst I'm speaking, isn't that new Mario Party game coming out soon? It's just come out, I believe. And apparently, uh, it's very good. So I've that, heard nothing but positive impressions. Right. So that, if you know, for a new Four Guys season or a, a Switch release came out around this time, it would probably get obliterated. So they're probably holding off, aren't they? So that they don't step on each other's toes and eat each other's lunch. Possibly. I say, all I know, it was due out in the summer. It didn't hit. But yeah. then it got, Among Us came out on the Switch. Maybe that into it a bit. I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, who knows? Epic know what they're doing. They they bought it, didn't they? They bought media on it. Yeah. They want to go free to play, I believe. They know what they're doing. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I, I One, I wouldn't be surprised if it never comes out. Two, I wouldn't be surprised if it comes out as a shadow drop um, just before Christmas at some kind of indie direct. Yeah. No, I think that sounds very, yeah, very, very plausible indeed. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, um, sorry to publishers of Game Beast and <laughs> yeah. developers of Game Beast for letting uh, Full Guys take over. I prefer Game Beast; it's a much better game, personally. It's go. more fun. Excellent, and I think you know it's funny. I- I'm sure they'd just be happy that it's getting into the conversation, and I'm sure their numbers are going to be great as well. So fingers crossed that it it does all the numbers that um, it deserves. Yes, one hundred percent. So from Game Beast to the Lab. <laughs> which is a Valve VR game. Uh, it's only, to my mind, only the second one that they've done purely by themselves, although mm-hmm. I might be showing some ignorance here. Um, the other, of course, being Half-Life Alex, which is one of the best games of the last 10 years, as I keep saying. But yeah, The Lab is their one of those um, welcome-to-VR type games that you get. There was a disc that you got with the PSVR which was yep. an absolutely superb one. It was really, really good. I uh, put my st- my um, wife's stepmom. I let her have a go of the one where you do the the shark thing. You go down in a shark cage and you've seen all the underwater creatures, and then the shark comes out of nowhere. Yeah, uh, and she freaked out and absolutely <laughs> loved it. <laughs> it's one of those that you know you put the right content in front of people and they just oh, yeah yeah absolutely fall in love. And she completely fell in love. She's not even had a chance to play again since then, but she did love it. And it's it's similar to that. With it being Valve, it's a little bit more sophisticated, mm-hmm. more interactivity. And the funny thing is, is that it's got some really good stuff in terms of introducing VR motion and, and things like that. And it's got a few things that are completely superseded now because it's a good few years old and there's, there's different tricks. And... Um, one of the main ones is that 
and this might be a surprise to anyone listening who's not played much VR, is that teleporting to uh, your next place, you know, in the environment is very much a secondary thing now that most games start you with. You've got full forward locomotion using the sticks because that doesn't really make very many people sick. Uh, And it still has the graduated movement when you turn, you know, on your axis. But yeah, it starts you off, obviously, with the full teleport. Uh, But anyway that's boring the the fun thing about it is that it's really well constructed and it's one of those where when valve wrap the hands around a game or a concept you know that it's going to be really really good because they've only done like what 10 games in their entire existence and yeah. uh this is one of them and yeah it's got you you start off in a lab and it's the idea is that the sort of theme around it is that it's experimenting on pocket universes and all that means is that it's a bunch of mini games, really. But you interact with them by wandering around this lab, and the lab is very much designed where you just like pick stuff up and play with it. Uh, it's got some really cool stuff, like a little balloon blower. <laughs> All of these things sound so crap when they're not even <laughs> when you don't know VR, but yeah. in VR they're great. So yeah, you pick up this little device and. It, you hold down the the trigger and it blows a balloon and you let go and it, it, it ties the balloon off and it floats away and you can bop the balloon with your hands and you know just little things like that where it shows off all the physics and the interactivity is in the lab and in the lab there are these spheres floating spheres that you can just see a distorted image in and they're the universes and you interact with them by grabbing them with both hands and pushing them into your face and then you're in that universe uh which is a lovely concept it's really great and uh it has like a they're they're set out like little stalls like you would find at the fair and yeah you grab this sphere and and interact and there's loads there's the 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 two best because i won't talk about them all but the two best one is a continuous shooter and you're basically standing in a room there's like a little well it's kind of like a well it's a little floating gyrocopter drone style thing but a spaceship and you hold it in your virtual hand and you're playing basically like kind of like asteroids uh but with loads of ships coming at you and they can come at you from like all angles up and down below and around you and you have to hold the ship and fire and hit all these things and avoid all of their lasers and it sounds really basic but because you've got that constant vision both up and down and around all the time yeah it's just really unusual and you evade by like making sure that you move your your ship out of the way and because the ship is in your hand rather than controlling it with a stick, you can you can do like little floaty gestures left and right and up and down to move and avoid stuff and keep your fire on point. Or you can just go whoop and just like pull your ship, you know, six feet away from where it was uh, just to get into a bit of free space. And it's that's really, really clever, you know, it's great. So there's that, and another one that is worth calling out is this robot one where you go into the universe and it's the the two robots from Portal 2. The well, I think it might have been Portal 1 as well in the co-op mode, and you're trying to do a fix and it all goes wrong and, you know, it's it's comedy. It's very much in the Portal style. Yes. And, you know... They need to be in more games. They do, and right at the end... As is typical in Portal games, all the walls fall away and they're kind of reconstructing new areas because that's all what it's all about. And GLaDOS just sweeps down from the ceiling and Jesus Christ, GLaDOS is scary. Like, you understand it's scary as a concept when you're playing it in normal 2D. Yeah. But in in, in VR, 
GLaDOS is gigantic. And it just, like, the way it moves and that voice and the things that it says, it just has such a presence. It has one of the the strongest characteristics and character of, like, anything created in games. And having it swoop down in VR and it's, like, six times as big as you are. Yeah. Oh, wow, it's really good. And so that's just two examples of all the stuff going on. And for something that's just designed to, like, get you acclimatised to VR, it's a really, really excellent, excellent experience. And I can't remember if it was free or not. I think it might have been free. I'll check it out, um, Mm. you know, while we're on air. Your old friend Stu from the future here. Sorry I didn't check it out during the podcast itself because the conversation was just too riveting. But pleased to say that the lab is free. And it's supported on Valve Index, HTC Vive, Oculus Rift, and Windows Mixed Reality. So if you've got any of those, check it out. But yeah, it, it was really, really good. I've got questions. Please go. Right, it's by Valve, so that's all good. Are there any Easter eggs and or trolling going on? in there at all not that i've discovered other than you know well like glados's appearance is you can well you can maybe suspect it but the appearance the you know from out of nowhere really when the walls fall away that's a big kind of like whoa (laughs) you know you're in the portal universe but you still didn't really expect to see her no, so they haven't got like three crowbars on a table or anything like that like, in any of it. Or... <laughs> I've not seen it so far, but you you never know. I've I've played I think about five. There's quite a few of these little pocket universes. I've played about five yeah. of them so far. Um, I've not seen anything like that yet, but yeah, no, there's a good possibility. It's like a PT at the very end. If you get it all done in the right order or something like that, or specific order, it comes out and confirms Half Life Three, except no one's done it yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh God, Half yeah, Life the... Three by Hideo Kojima. Kojima, <laughs> rather. Oh, don't my head will explode. That's too. And Norman, Norman Reedus as um, as uh, Gordon Freeman. <laughs> Excellent. Well, he doesn't speak hardly at all, anyway. So yeah, no, no, no it's <laughs> but... best if Norman Reedus doesn't speak. He, <laughs> he seems to be he'd have been a great actor back in the silent films days. That's a yeah. He's got that kind of face. He definitely. He's got has. a presence. He's got a presence. Just, just. He, I don't think he's a great actor. No, no. But he's he's found his niche, hasn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. As um, as uh, Hideo Kojima's Kojima's best mate and plaything. Yeah, basically his toy. Yeah, yeah. One thing I must mention about the lab before I go. Talking of Valve, kind of Easter eggs and stuff. When you start off the game, well, yeah, the experience, if you want to call it that. You um, you get the Valve logo, and you also get the Valve music, which is terrifying. <laughs> it always is. It doesn't, matter. it doesn't matter what they released, that music will always be terrifying. Yeah. And you're in a, a sphere, you're, you're within a sphere, that is completely filled with valves. Like, the all the ceiling, the, all the sphere, the inside of the sphere is wall oh, It's like original valve. valve. Yeah, yeah. But it's terrifying. Oh, because their, their logo, I don't know if they still use it, used to be like someone's head, wasn't it, with a valve in the back of it? They still use it. They still use it. They do that. still use it. Good. good. And I, yeah. I mentioned it when I first put it. It was one of the very earliest. Like, we'd only been going for a couple of months when Half-Life Alex came out. Yeah. And I, I mentioned it then. That when you start that in VR, the you see the, the hefty guy with the valve in the back of his head and the music kicks in. And 
just as the, the musical sting is fading, his, his head starts to turn towards you just a tiny, tiny bit. And Jesus Christ, it's the scariest thing in the entire universe. It's I just, see his face. I know, I know. It's just, it leaves that, all that to the imagination, but just suggests that you're going to see something terrifying. Oh. It's very, very, very spooky. <laughs> oh, Valve need to get back into game development. They oh. really, really, really do. They really do. They really do. There's bits, I mean, there's bits in, I know we're just going, I'm going on and on now, but um, there's bits in, in Half-Life Alex that you can tell that they've done it really, really well so that the environment is is tense and scary but they've they've actually stepped it back so that isn't too scary you know you you feel that they could step it up so that it'd be even scarier so there's there's nothing that's there's there's loads of stuff that is as scary as raven home but they could make it even more frightening than that and they don't do that because you know it would just kill people (laughs) it Mm. would murder them Mm. yes (laughs) valve interesting company Yes, indeed, indeed. So, moving on, I've been playing a game that you played a while back uh, because it's had some DLC expansion passes or or whatever, Uh, but I've been playing Phoenix Point Year One Edition. Awesome. Now, I remember seeing you playing it and I was like, oh, I like the look of this. I never got round to it, so I got offered a code a little while back. I'm playing catch-up a bit. Uh, I got offered a code just over a month ago and I gave it a go. For anyone who doesn't know, it's basically an XCOM light strategy turn-based type thing that you go through. I think it's a bit more linear than probably XCOM is, but yeah, I I I really enjoy it. The DLC adds more, just more of the same, which is good. Extra story, but extra stories to it. Anyone who's played anything like it knows what it's all about. Uh, but what I found with Phoenix Point compared to XCOM. XCOM made me feel stupid. From a young age, even played XCOM 2, like a couple of years back, it makes me feel stupid. And it it kind of reminds you that you're stupid and throws it in your face. And I didn't like that. I don't want my games that I've paid money for to tell me I'm stupid. Yeah. In what I felt was quite a vindictive way. Uh, Whereas Phoenix Point gives you the same sort of like overall experience, but kind of wants you to enjoy it and i can appreciate that it's not easy by any stretch of the imagination but it wants you to enjoy it and yeah it's um i don't know if this is controversial in the world of strategy but phoenix points a damn sight bit better than xcom 2 for a filthy casual like me i think yeah what did you feel that the general reaction to phoenix point was yeah, you know, was it know. positively received? Or? Well, uh, the Steam reviews seem to have it as uh, mostly positive. So, yes. Uh, but I reckon there was, I think I remember when it first came out, I saw some, not backlash, but people going, oh, it's not XCOM. Yeah, but so? I, I, I don't want to play XCOM. Yeah. I want to play a game like XCOM that's not XCOM. Yeah. Mm. It's, you know... You're going into the like uh, the wonderful world of Oz. You're following the Yellow Brick Road. XCOM's like the Wicked Witch of the West, and Phoenix Point's like Glinda the Good Witch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, that, that's the way I could describe it. You know, they're different sides of the same coin. I don't know if this is, you know, this might not be right at all. 
But I played it not long before or after. I think it was slightly after. Um, the Gears of War tactics game that's also yes. similar. Yes. And that might have eaten its lunch because I know that Phoenix Point, well, it, it was early access as well, wasn't it? And it was a Kickstarter. I, I think when we, because you got a code off me for that, didn't you? To, I did, to, yeah. We'd done a video on it. Um, and I think, yeah, it was still just about in early access when you, when you got hold of it. Yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, maybe that might have had some impact because I suppose there's only so many of those types of games you're going to consume in one year. And, you know, Gears, the Gears game, that Gears Tactics game is really good. It's got the, the, see, so it's got the day behind it, Gears. So Phoenix Point is actually by the creator of XCOM. Um, I I probably should have mentioned that before, but it's still better than XCOM. Well done, creator. (laughs) Um, But it doesn't have... The name. If you had the XCOM name, then yes, I could see more and more people probably picking up Phoenix Point. But Gears Tactics got actually, I think, got a good word of mouth when it came out as well. Um, so that I think obviously that was on Game Pass as well. So probably did steal a bit of its thunder. But yeah, I say I'm looking. It's most people seem to really like it. It's coming up to you know it, well, it says year one edition, but it's like third of December was its initial release date. Just looking at um, the, the, the Steam store page now, and yeah, it, it's generally uh, yeah. I think most of the negative reviews I see on it come from it's not XCOM. It you know it hasn't got. XCOM, the bit I didn't like about XCOM was the bits in between the tactical battles. I don't want to manage yeah. things that much. I, that's where I lose it. I can't cope with that. And Ditto, this, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and whereas this is just goes, look, is is the tactical bits. Yeah, thank you. I don't mind the little bit of, oh, who do you want to choose? But I don't want to spend hours upon hours upgrading personality types and efforts and they work to get... no. Oh, that's fine, but do it. But I don't want to do that. Um, and this is this is XCOM light, but light in all the right ways. Um, and yeah, I, I I really enjoy it. I, it's one I could dip in and out of, and not go. Ah, oh, what have I done with my little people? I can't remember who's doing what and who's got what relationship or anything. I could just go in and go right. I know how to play a tactics game. Let's go. And yeah, brilliant, brilliant, yeah. brilliant game, brilliant game. Yeah, I really enjoyed my time with it. I think it, even though it's not one of my you know, absolutely preferred genres. It's definitely right up there in terms of quality. I suspect as well and hope that it will have a long tail and it will sell quite well for quite a long while as well. Yeah. I think that there are, possibly because Western influence, tactical, you know, strategy games like that, there aren't very many of them. There's certainly not that are really fantastic. I mean, there's, there's some, you know, Warhammer ones, you know, 40k and there's uh yeah yeah what you say obviously there's the XCOM games and there's the gears one but you know apart from that there aren't vast numbers of really good ones that are broadly available so yeah no i I reckon it might well have a long tail on it like you said it definitely deserves that yeah and games like this you could easily just keep it going with more story missions yeah and I, i i'd be happy with that uh, so yeah, we'll see see how it does. Um, again, for somebody who wants an XCOM experience without all the all the filler that goes with it, yeah, this is this is spot on. Awesome. So from tactics to well, it's survival, I guess you'd call it. Uh, so I've been playing some of the Walking Dead Saints and Sinners again in VR. 
So this was the one I mentioned on last week's podcast, yes. number 92. Yeah, where I had it in my inventory. I had absolutely no knowledge of it, which is mm-hmm. bizarre because <laughs> it's one of the it's one of the really higher, much higher selling VR games and one of the sort of pantheon of of the ones that are be- you know, classed as the best sort of VR experience kind of thing. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I've had a go. Basically, the the premise is that you're kind of a newcomer to New Orleans and yeah, I think it's New Orleans, but it's definitely, you know, the sort of the very damp south. <laughs> it's uh set in this really kind of water half waterlogged Louisiana style place. Um and you arrive and you have a friend who is is subsequently murdered. And yeah, it's uh it's so far very good. The the whole idea is you're trying to discover the location of a secret government stash of food and ammunition and things like that that is rumoured it's turned into almost a legend or a myth of the people around and this place is going to become completely swamped in the next you know people expect in the next sort of hurricane that comes that it's just going to become uninhabitable and and you know you've got to get out of there and in that meantime, you know, you want to try and find this massive repository of stuff. And, of course, this has drawn lots of people to the area. So there's there's the, your sort of regular survivors. There's the kind of slightly more psychopathic ones. And there's this whole cabal of mooks, cabal of weirdos who want to... who dress up with horns and skulls and stuff who are dedicated to wiping everybody out who are looking for it. And then, of course, there's all the zombies. And... Mm. To this end, you have a a home base that's a school bus in a cemetery and you go from there and and set out about the environment to find out more about it. And it plays out uh, sort of fairly slowly. So the areas are very small and sort of condensed with a lot going on in each of them. And you have to do your traversal and do your survival things. And it's very, very much like a kind of VR Last of Us in a way. Right. The last thing I'll say about the sort of setup and the structure is that it ha- you have your backpack, which yeah, has your inventory, and you pull that by putting your hand over your left shoulder. You can carry large weapons like axes over your right shoulder and bring them over. You carry shivs and knives and screwdrivers for stabbing, and you've got guns that you have on your hip, and all that sort of stuff in, in regular 2D gaming is just you know frippery and unimportant you just do it through a menu but in vr of course it's built all into your physical functioning so you have to literally almost juggle what you're doing what you're carrying how you're physically presenting in the world how uh how much stamina is left on the weapons before they break how much food you have how many times you can heal all of that thing all of those are just there plus also you have to juggle them so if you're being attacked you have to use keep away tactics and you have to watch your six and just all of that sort of stuff so it plants you very 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 solidly in the world and a lot of the interaction is like you know shiving zombies in the head because that's the the most minimal way of killing them you know yeah it doesn't attract a crowd it doesn't use up ammunition but it's a risk award because you have to get very very close so it doesn't do anything spectacularly new but in VR, it does it in a way that's very, very threatening. So, again, it's like that thing I was saying about Half-Life Alex that it, it just dials it back enough 
so that it's not so terrifying that you can't play. And and this is from somebody I played Resident Evil Seven for a little while in VR, and I I was just noped out of it because it was, although it's not like one for one realistic, it was realistic enough and full of jump scares enough for me to be like no. <laughs> and they've dialed that down a little bit for Saints and Sinners. It's I've so far not seen any, not had any particular jump scares, and it's more about tension and atmosphere and things like that. And it has that kind of the comic book te- Telltale Games visual style, mm-hmm. where it's more comic book than it is realistic. It is. So it can, yeah, so it can present, you know, maggoty flesh and and ruptured arteries and stuff so that you understand that they're there and they, they make you feel a bit kind of, but they're not so graphic and realistic that you're like, oh, no, no, don't want that. So, yeah, so far, very much enjoying it. Yeah, so I, I'm always confused by the the Walking Dead game. So the Telltale ones, I remember playing the first season of that, loving it, playing, I want to say there was a second, I don't know if it was the second season of a spin-off, but I, I ended up enjoying that. And then there was more and I went, um, Nah, done with this now. Uh, but uh, everything else that's been made as a Walking Dead game, bar probably Bridge Constructor, was crap. And I thought Saints and Sinners was one of the older crap ones. But apparently, no, it's a straight, it's a pure VR game. It's something fairly new, yes? Yeah, I mean, it. it's reasonably new. It, yeah, it came out like January last year. So it's just coming up on a couple of years old. Mm. I think it was in development for quite a long time as well. So I think it was like in development for two or three years. So that's long for a VR game because they tend to be, you know, shorter experiences and don't take quite as much construction. Yeah. But um, yeah, but this one, yeah, it's by Skydance Interactive and it's much better than a lot of the stuff. (laughs) They got the Walking Dead sticker slapped on it and there there were two big... Say uh, Walking Dead releases, there was this one and then a while after there's the more flat out, straight out shooting game that's just ar- more arcadey and they're both supposed to be very good, I think with this one being the superior one of the two mm. and uh, yeah, no, definitely really good it suffers a tiny bit from doing some a, a fair few things that Half-Life Alex does, not that this is trying to imitate it Obviously, they started at roughly the, the same time in development. And, you know, it's just coincidence and stuff. But Half-Life Alex is, is so good at everything that it does. It's not as good as that. It does have that benefit of having the horror atmosphere, you know, all the way through it. Yeah. Um, and having that link and the verisimilitude with you know, with The Walking Dead having the very similar looking zombies to the to the TV show and stuff whilst you know obviously painted in a way that isn't quite as graphic so it, yeah it gets a, a lot of it scores a lot of points from atmosphere and the rest of its points it scores from having really good interactivity with the world like you have to you have to learn how to use the weaponry very well it's 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 actually quite precise the way that you have to to use it even just stabbing something in the head takes a bit of skill and a bit of precision so yeah it's definitely got that in its favor fair enough and because this is the normal readers special episode does normal readers appear 
<laughs> not so far no <laughs> <laughs> but you never know you never know if i was in a in a fighting situation and then a, a crossbow bolt came over and took out a load of zombies and i turned around and it was really I, I would be very i wouldn't be surprised i'd be very happy in fact yeah and when we come to your third game i've got a question for you but i'll wait awesome <laughs> <laughs> um, wait. so from one popular franchise to probably one of the most popular franchises i'd be playing jurassic world evolution 2 and i'm not going to sugarcoat this at all i love jurassic park i love everything to do with jurassic park the original film still has one of the most standout moments in cinematic history because anyone who went to the cinema in 1992 or 1993 if they went a bit later sat in front of that big screen and saw a dinosaur for the first time on screen and didn't have their mind blown is lying yeah everyone everyone's jaws dropped just like um laura dern and uh sam Neils. you believed dinosaurs were real it still looks amazing to this day the lost world jurassic park i still think is a a brilliant take on the the uh the original king kong which is what I think that was. Um, a lot yeah, of it, obviously, yeah. it was based on the Michael Crichton book more than the original Jurassic Park was. But anyway, um, I still think it was an homage to King Kong. I thought we'd done really, really well. I even like Jurassic Park 3. I do. I don't care what people say. Alan and everything. Yeah. The raptor on the plane. It worked. I don't care. I liked it. Yep. Jurassic World, yep, I like it. I thought Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard carried that feel really well, and I think they they paid a lot of respect to uh, to Richard Attenborough. Uh, Jurassic Park, sorry, Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. Again, they showed the right respect where it was needed. He had some good ideas. I enjoyed it. I don't know what people expect from Jurassic Park. Um, I even loved Camp Cretaceous on Netflix. That's brilliant. Anyone who hasn't watched that, watch that. I love the Jurassic Park series, all of it. Uh, didn't like the games, mainly because they were crap on the Mega Drive <laughs> and everything. Uh, yeah. But Dino Crisis, you know, that if that is just branded Dino Crisis with Jurassic Park, oh, that would have set the world on fire. But anyway, Jurassic World Evolution was a really good park management game with dinosaurs and it had a bit of a campaign in there. And Jurassic World Evolution is essentially more of the same, but with pure quality of life updates and lessons learned from the original game. So the campaign in the original game was lots of build a park, move on, build another park, move on. And it was kind of loosely tied together in some fashion. Uh, Bloated campaign that was i don't know maybe 14 hours long uh but wow. it, was, it, it, it felt bloated and it's like uh i just do i want to just go to the sandbox mode you know it's yeah i get all this uh that's a really good dlc so going back to jurassic park and trying to rebuild jurassic park was really good in the original but what you've got here is the campaign mode in Jurassic World Evolution. So I've only spent a couple of hours really with the game so far. So I'll probably talk about more next week as well. A couple of hours with the campaign and about halfway through, uh, which is good. It's concise. It tries. I've got a feeling the campaign was going to be built to link into Dominion, the third Jurassic World film. But obviously yeah. delays and everything meant I think they've had to maybe take some bits out. But it's laser focused. It uses the tools, you know, for building and stuff like that to try and tell a much more concise story. 
really, really good. And I, I see some people I've seen have complained actually that it's really short. It looks like about four to five hours sweet spot for a park builder campaign for me, um, especially as it's got an actual story to it. Yeah. You've got your sandbox mode, your challenge mode. They're all really good. But for me, what seems to be the standout mode so far is called Chaos Theory. And do you know okay. Marvel have done, I don't know if it's Netflix or, or, or something else, or, 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 or it's probably Disney Channel, uh, Disney Channel or Disney Plus, something. but there's What If series of comics and animations and that. Yeah. So what if, um, I don't know, uh, uh, Doctor Strange done this instead of this, and this is the alternative. So it's kind of like that, and I think this is going to be a thing in uh, franchise storytelling soon, the whole what if. So what you've got in Chaos Theory is, like one of the first levels is, what if Jurassic Park didn't fail because you was in charge? Um, And it's, it's often something I've been interested in because Jurassic Park didn't fail because it was Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park failed because of Dennis Neary and Espionage. That's why it failed. So the idea of, you know, what if you could stop that happening or you could build a park that was safer, what would happen? So it kind of they does, does this alternative stuff and it's got a few little twists in there. Um, I've only played the first part of it, but again, it uses the park building mechanics and everything you know from the sandbox mode to do something a bit different and it just works really really well you've got all your voice actors back in there um, the big shame obviously is there's no Richard Attenborough and they've got a uh, they've got a voice oh, I'll try to think of the word now they've got a different voice actor who try and sounds a bit like him but it doesn't work yeah but on the whole, yeah, I, 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 I really do like it. I really, really, really do like it. But I can forgive that because you've got, a, like, every other actor seems to be reprising their roles. And it's a brilliant accompaniment to the new series. Um, I think whereas the games from the Mega Drive era, Jurassic Park, were like, oh, God, you're pretty much tarnishing the name of Jurassic Park. These, I think, are in parts better than the films, the newer films. Yeah. In parts complement it really, really well. For you know, we're in a world now where we don't just have one and done films. It's, you know, you then have everything around it. There's comics, there's T V series, there's games. And yeah, this all fits the canon perfectly well. All the quality of life improvements are there. There's more dinosaur types in there. I've only spent probably in total four hours, a couple of hours with Chaos Theory, quick look at the sandbox mode and challenge, and a couple of hours with the campaign. Absolutely love it. Love Jurassic Park, love Jurassic World. A Jurassic World evolution is outstanding. Excellent. I think it, it sounds, from what you've said, it sounds like it's benefiting from the fact that we're in a in a kind of post-canon world, really. Yeah. Like, even if you think you've got your hands around something, it can be changed so fast and probably will. And the new thing will contradict the old thing. And you've just got to pluck from it what you what you like, what you enjoy. And yeah. just that's your head canon. And it sounds like they've just used that really well in it to, to make a really good kind of uh, structure for the game. And yeah, I, that kind of entices me because the idea of putting a part together and... It being nothing, nothing but roller coaster tycoon with a, you know, dinosaur skin doesn't really appeal. But actually having the characters and the actors and and some of the scenes and the environments type thing in the background, 
that that does have a real appeal to me. It really does. So yeah, I might have to check it out. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, to be honest, you could probably get the originals a decent intro. You could probably get that really, really cheap in like bundles and stuff uh, and things like that. But yeah, this just this, this honestly so far it's improved on it in, in every single way. And the dinosaur, it would have been so easy to, as you said, to make a uh, a tycoon game, but with dinosaurs. Uh, but this is different enough an experience that you could play it alongside theme park, roller coaster tycoon, any of those um, Planet Zoo. None of those do what this does, and to take those mechanics and do something a bit different with them yeah really 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 good from frontier absolutely amazing game for me it's like right in my wheelhouse and when i got the code i'd been humming jurassic park all day until i could get it installed (laughs) yeah it's also it's the most iconic theme i think that it's up there with jaws isn't it as, as iconic it really is yeah yeah it really is it's got that great adventure beat to it that you know it kind of like um indiana jones sort of thing that makes you prepped for the excitement sort of thing you know yeah and it's i mean the idea that just the slow build of that theme it works perfectly with again the build up to seeing a dinosaur for the very first time in in the original jurassic park it's like the, the the crescendo it hits it's Oh yeah, Ed. oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I could, I could. Go. I'm gonna shut up because I could. Honestly, I could go on for hours about the whole Jurassic Park franchise. No, I know what you mean. I, my wife is absolutely, absolutely obsessed with it, and um, yeah, I really like it. And what I like most about the whole franchise thing is definitely the park side of the Jurassic Park. Yes. Um, I know that's a weird thing to say, but it's not necessarily the dinosaurs. It's how those dinosaurs are contained. And like, you know, what Spielberg brings out in the first film is that hubris of, of humanity thinking they can contain these things. Yes. And, you know, it's almost like, you know, if Jaws 3D had actually been a good film, that would have worked along <laughs> the same sort of lines. Yeah. Um, it's just, yeah, yeah, that kind of trying to contain something that can't be contained is a yes. is a really good setup for a, for a film and, uh, yeah. and also for a game, yeah. Uh, Jurassic Park 3, as much as I love it, obviously the dinosaurs were shit. <laughs> in that the cgi in that for some reason was awful uh but it shows why practical is always so good as well and i was 11 when the first jurassic park came out i was 11 so i believed it was possible uh because the, yeah. like when they explained the science behind it i'm 11 they're going yeah we could do this yeah yeah okay yeah 100 percent, we could do this um i wanted <laughs> it because i'm 11 I'm, I'm, I'm now yeah. 40 and I'm still going, we could do this. We could do this. Come on, someone can make it happen. Come on. Before yeah. I die, I want to go to Jurassic Park. I don't care if it all goes tits up while I'm there. I want to go. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Take a massive tranquilizer gun just in case. But yeah, yeah I'd love to go. Now, now, from one unexplored world to another unexplored world in video games, Stu, what's your big game of the week? Well, that absolutely deserves the Segway bumper, so it's getting it. Segway! 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 And it was a good Segway as well, it worked. Absolutely, it was fantastic. I suppose, you know, chuck enough beep at a wall and you'll eventually get it. Eventually, there. yes. <laughs> but yes, 
So, talking of, yeah, huge franchises with very impressive effects, I've been playing Forza Horizon 5. So, uh, if people don't know, they probably do. I I play these things on PC, and that gives it a kind of, well, you know, we've got Forza Horizon 5, we've all got Game Pass, mate, why are you bothering talking about it? Well, what I'll do is I'll kind of focus on the, the things that the PC does and just touch a little bit on the gameplay. So in gameplay terms, if you played a Horizon game before, you know what you get in. So it's a big open world. You kind of, It's like Burnout Paradise in that you drive, you drive to locations to compete in stuff, but it's also open world so you can bimble around. And also you can challenge other drivers to uh, you know uh, to compete in little races uh, along the way. And it also has other stuff like jumping through barriers and breaking speed limits and stuff to, uh, to earn XP. And it's all about, yeah, accruing XP, doing things with style so that you, you get more XP and more credits and then that, you know, unlocks stuff and lets you get more cars and more events and blah, blah, blah. So what this one does differently to Forza Horizon 4 is not very much. <laughs> yeah. Just get, get that out there right at the beginning. It doesn't do very much different. It's much more in the current generation, you know, whether you describe it as current or next. So current as in PS5, Xbox Series, and current PC. Just to it's clarify, much- it's not on PS5. Yes, yeah, I just mean, yeah, you're right. Just, just, but, just in case. <laughs> yeah, but just it's a you know obviously very much of that era and built for that era, even though, <clears throat> excuse me, even though it scales back to the older consoles. Yeah, and it looks amazing. It's it's an absolute feat of genius what they've what they've done to get this to work. And the most impressive things to me are the baked in lighting, so that the standard lighting that you get, no matter what machine you're running it on is fantastic it's done beautifully they've done it so cleverly the the level of detail is really high again even if you're running it on something not very powerful the what's it called the field of view fov yep. is really really wide i'm playing it on an ultra wide but even on a 16 to 9 screen it's got a really really wide field of view which makes it feel like a really big landscape that you're exploring bigger even than you would uh, expect and the draw distance, I'm not sure if this is just my PC, but I don't think it is, is extremely far, extremely long. So you can see tiny, tiny specks of cars in the distance that you can then, you know, reach and drive up to. And, and you can see, you know, bridges and other structures and all sorts. And, and it just gives you that feeling of excitement. And I think, you know, one of the things we talked about a little while ago was an important thing in, in driving games and racing games to varying degrees depending on which you're playing having that fiesta feel is very important yeah so bright lights things that draw your eyes stuff in the sky to make it a little bit you know break things up a little bit having water having good weather effects having good lighting these are all very important to make it not bland (laughs) and it's why it has to push you know why video why driving games often push forward video game graphics because you know to differentiate them they've got to look prettier and prettier and it really does that it has that as a game it has the same problem for me that Forza 4 does Horizon 4 in that you because you're splitting between navigating the environment and then getting into races 
it very much falls between two different genres, well, sub-genres of the racing genre, and that's driving game and racing game. Mm-hmm. So driving game is more about the experience of handling a car, and racing is more about the experience of competing and beating people. And it has both of those things, and it makes it unique. But if I was the if I was like the Xbox guy, you know, I wouldn't have necessarily gone, right, Horizon is the one that, you know, like our Gears of War, like our Halo, that it's going to be the premier one. I think I may have made it Forza Motorsport be that thing. Yeah. Because that's the kind of Gran Turismo beta style one. I don't like driving around. I just, it just bores the crap out of me. It's just like... Why do I have to do this? Why can I not have a fast travel mode to the event so that I can just race? Yeah. And it very often tires me out psychologically to the point where, where because races are, because they're intense and they tend to be short in all games, they tend to be like you know, one, one and a half minutes, three minutes and five minutes. If you're driving four minutes to an event and then you're playing a, a doing a race that's shorter than that, you've got to really love the driving and exp- exploration aspect of it to still have that enthusiasm when you arrive at your race. Yeah. And I just don't. It just strips all that enthusiasm away from me, which is a terrible, terrible shame for me. <laughs> it's not necessarily for everybody. Um, most A load of people must love that, otherwise it wouldn't be where it is in the culture. But it, it really takes away from me. And it, there's a knot to it because you can unlock houses in the environment which allow fast travel yeah. to areas and then get involved in races in those areas. And there are unlocks so that you can have free fast travel permanently. But of course, that's locked. It's not paywalled. It's locked. Oh, there is. Achievements. You can pay for it if you want. Oh, can you? Of course, you can. Well, that explains a lot. So mm. there you go. So they've they've clearly gone. You know, one of the most important things in this, this game is, is being able to choose your amount of traversal. And the thing that you, a lot of people, maybe even half the audience or more, will love is going to cost you a lot of time and engagement or a lot of money. Or, yeah, just money. So that frustrates me and annoys me. And it's getting to the point where it's overshadowing how good the game is. Yeah. A little. Because the game is very good. The handling so- is excellent. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah so for me, you, you've, you've nailed it. It's why I skipped Forza Horizon 4 and we'll jump back in with this one. It was too much of the same and it was too much travelling. Uh, now, two games for me have nailed this in the past. One, Burnout Paradise, because the size of the map is spot on and there is events on every intersection, whether it's... You could burn down the road to try and beat the time on that road. Whether it's you go into crash mode because you fancy it. Whether you hit an intersection and there's a race or or a burning lap or, or anything like that. There is events everywhere. And you haven't got to travel for more than a few seconds to get to one. Um, and to say, the size of the map is spot on. Even going into Big Surf Island, stuff like that. They nailed that, making sure there was always something to do within seconds. Um, and the other one is Test Drive Unlimited 1 and 2, which is a driving game first and foremost, which had racing events. But I felt that the driving around in Test Drive Unlimited was glorious. Um, Travelling around Hawaii and stuff like that, it was absolutely 
glorious. And he said, I think the problem with Forza Horizon is I think the areas are a bit sparse in terms of events and you've got to travel to get to them initially. And in all honesty, if I'm at like the bottom left-hand corner of the map and there's an event and it's at the top right corner of the map, I, I honestly partly go, have I got the time? Do I, do I really care? And back on Forza Horizon 2 and 3, I did. Uh, but I think the map got bigger for 4. It's got even bigger again for 5. And there's not enough events on each road like Burnout has. Like those, um, like, just can you beat the public time on this road? To, to want me wanting to do it. It's just aimless driving maybe looking out for barns or or signs uh, but i'm still talking about sort of like just the overall content i've not played five yet uh, but i'm going on what i've seen other people play and it is, it's a shame i don't think anyone's better burnout paradise or um or test drive yet yeah 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 it's it's definitely got that the curse of public you know publisher into interference mm. and it's a first party studio so it's you know it's not really it's, it's hand in hand but you know the developers will have just been told what they have to do i bet every single one of them would be happier just going look we made this amazing racing game because it is when you get into the races they are superb yes um, and not only are they great in the way that i play them they're tweakable so that they're great for the people who are far far better at these things than me and far far worse than these things than me yeah uh, which is amazing you know um so i i'm kind of I, I kind of go just above the middle, so yeah. I sw- I leave the AI at kind of its default, which is a challenge, but not too hard. But I turn off the uh, the you know the road marker thing that shows you how and when to break and all of that. I turn that off completely. Mm. Uh, but you can have that on. You can have it on. Have it off. You can switch it off. Right. You can <laughs> exactly sexy, and you can yeah just tweak the experience to what you want without breaking it now just being able to do that that's an immense thing and it's yes. really impressive um so the question is now that i know you can pay to have that unlock will i do it i think no. the answer might be yes actually no it might be well i know because i mean you're they, part of the problem well i know that they can't be yeah i they they shouldn't be encouraged to do this sort of thing but the thing is it will it will unlock the investment. I enjoy the game. Yes. And it will, without that, I will not enjoy the game and I will stop playing the game. And considering that I'm paying, well, it's, you know, it's like about 12 quid a month for me mm-hmm. with what I pay with, no, 10.99. 10.99 a month. So it, the game is going to cost me max 10.99 to play. Yeah. And if I play it for a while, it's going to cost me even less than that. So even if it's a fiver to unlock or a tenner, it represents such good value that yeah. I might have to do that. So if you've got the Game Pass version, then do you know what? I, I see it as okay of giving you a bit of a, you can pay a, a microtransaction to unlock fast travel. If you've paid for the game in any way, shape or form, whether it's the standard edition, the premium edition, whatever, Fast travel and other bits like that should not be locked behind a paywall. What it should be, right, if you've paid your 40, 50, 60 quid, whatever it is these days, if you've paid that, then it's 
it's off by default, your free fast travel, but you can turn it on. So the challenge is you can still go and unlock it all in game, but if you want to turn it on and just go, hey, let me travel for free, it should be there because you've paid for the game. Playing the Game Pass version, which is quote-unquote free, before anyone questions, we know it's not technically free, but it's free enough. Then, yes, fine, do you know what? Pay to unlock for the extra income. I get that, 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 that's fine. My issue comes from having these paywalls on what is still a paid game. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree, I agree. And, you know, sort of, not it's not pay to win because they always balance the cars, but, oh. you know, buy, buying cars is, is dodgy AF as well, really, mm. I, I find. If you've mm. got to pay to skip the grind, the issue's with your game, not, not, not people not wanting to do it. Yes, I mean, I know I could unlock it in-game, but my God, the amount of time I'd have to put in to do that. It'd be like eating, you know, getting to eat a burger the size of, you know, just a, a, an ordinary burger that you have to eat through a car-sized bun to get to it. You know what I mean? Or I more the kids are having about 80-odd sliders that you need, that you want to eat, that are nice, really tasty burgers, but having to hunt for them in like little minute places around the restaurant. <laughs> yeah, that's a much better analogy. Yeah. I know, I'm yeah, so exactly. good at these when sometimes. You are, definitely. Or, like, um, you know, having to watch sort of six hours of The Walking Dead where oh. it's all Carol apart from five, five minutes of Norman Reedus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, it's like 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife. Oh, that again. Yeah. Yeah. I would always, always go to. Still, my, it's in my top five favourite comedy skits. It really yeah. is. Ed Burns' <laughs> bit on the Lardis Marvel set is oh, it's beautiful. Right, but does Norman Reedus appear? Not yet, but if I see him in my re- review mirror again, I wouldn't be it? surprised. Who was it? Oh, the, the, the guy who was in Grey Jill that just appeared in one of them. Like, I think it's Forza Horizon 2 or 3. Sean something or other. Sean McGuire. Oh really? I didn't he know was that. he was like the main character in either two or three, and it was like obviously Americans haven't got a clue, he is, so they don't care. It's just like oh, he's some British guy, and I think anyone from like who grew up in like the eighties and, and stuff like that just went, what? Yeah, my what? biggest ones are those. Yeah, my biggest ones are those. A guy Pierce when he was like from Neighbours, and then he became inexplicably became movie star yeah and he, for me he's one of the worst actors to have had a big career in hollywood that i can but he's one remember. of the best films in memento yeah it's weird yeah oh he's been in some really oh he's yeah ones. yeah yeah but he's never been the thing in them that's good no it's a bit like um, keanu isn't it oh, oh that's lo- controversial n- no i would disagree because keanu reeves ha- does one thing brilliantly well he does two things yeah he acts like Keanu Reeves yeah one of them is look beautiful yeah which is very very important uh especially in films and two he's an amazing physical actor and he leans into that so Guy Pearce just doesn't do anything he's just utterly mediocre for me yeah he's he's a weird he's a weird 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 one but yeah Sean Maguire appearing in Forza Horizon was just like I don't what uh, but we're going to sort of carry on the thoughts of Horizon 5 uh, because I feel like we've, we've kind of like been beating it with a tree branch at the moment. 40 Towers reference, there you go. <laughs> but it deserves some praise. It deserves a lot of praise to go with it as well because it has, I think, one of the most impressive accessibility features I've heard of in a, yeah. in a game. 
Uh, now, it doesn't have, as far as I'm aware, stuff that will help me play it, because I, I haven't played it yet. But again, I look at it and go, what can they do to allow visually impaired people to play it without stripping it right back? I don't know. I don't think there's an answer for it yet. And when they do, hopefully it's something they can include. But this one they've put in, I think is absolutely brilliant. So you can play the game at a slower speed. And when we say at a slower speed, we don't mean like your cars drive around at 30 miles an hour. It basically slows the game down, but keeps all the physics as spot on in the game. Now, some people have gone, well, why is it doing that? And it's just like, because what it allows is people who have mobility issues to people who have processing issues. So you could be someone who's like recently had a stroke or, or something like that to be able to play the game at a speed that allows them to actually progress and enjoy the game. And it is absolutely superb. And the guys at Playground Games, whoever decided whether it was Turn 10 or Microsoft themselves said, no, we've got to do this. I don't know. Whoever decided that was going to be in the game, well done. I'm really glad to see something like this included. Yeah, absolutely. I saw the bank of accessibility options when I was starting off, and they're absolutely phenomenal. And I strongly suspect that if there are any missing, that that people think you know, the consensus is they need to be in there, that they're going to be added in in future. I mean, I think the game's going to have you know a really long tail. I think it's going to be around for very many years, and I yeah. think it will get those. Um, and also... I, I mean, everyone will spot when they join, when they start the game, you know, you create a character and it has, you know, you can choose your pronouns, you can choose basically pretty much anything, including Good. having, yeah, having pr- prosthesis, you can choose the, the voice that you ha- the character has, whether it's traditionally masculine or traditionally feminine, and that isn't locked behind which physical type of person you select, Um and oh, you so you have, could select yourself as as male, but have a female look, for example. Yes, yeah, so, so you could be sort of male presenting, but have a female voice, or vice versa. You can choose your pronouns between you know he, him, she, she, her, and they, them. Yeah. My daughter's home. Um, <laughs> I must admit that did throw me a tad. Um, we'll push through. <laughs> yeah, we will. Uh, and yeah, so you can have, have prosthetic limbs as well. Um, so it's kind of just representational of of so many things, you know, so many aspects of of how hmm. you know people how people exist and how human beings are, which is brilliant. I would like to. I don't. I was asking a lot, but you know, once things start getting pushed, you want to see see it go the entire way, you know. And I would like to see you could choose to be a wheelchair user. Yeah. And why I don't you, see why not. Honestly, no. if you have a tar, no, you're in a car, so you can get in from a wheelchair and drive a car. So why the hell not? Yeah, and have wheel wheelchair uh, or you know adapted controls. Have uh-huh. Adapted controls for that as well. Um, and I don't see any reason why. Yeah, like you, that, that couldn't be in there. But I would like to see it. But yeah, just generally, that is really good because, and I'll tell you for why. It's good anyway for that level of representation, but. It's not like, oh, well, we'll throw it in and it's like the people who acknowledge it will give us thumbs up and the people who don't want to acknowledge it will just not care. No, there there are a wide enough range of bigots out there for them to make a stink about this. So to make the decision to include that when they 
quote unquote didn't have to um, is still very a good stance it's still a really good stance to take yep yeah, uh, this is where you're 100% right with this and where I was going to go with this the reaction to this bit of accessibility was someone put there's no reason Dark Souls couldn't do this this slowing it down to allow people with these sort of, same sort of disabilities to be able to play and then you got the reaction from the bigots, the usual bigots, going, not every game has to be made for everyone. Not everyone has to enjoy every game. And they're right. You haven't got to play and enjoy every game. But every game should give everyone the ability to play it. Um, and if you've got to make a quote-unquote easy mode on Dark Souls, which maybe lets you know visually when... Um, something's going to happen with an enemy that lets you just skip bosses altogether, that slows down the timing windows, makes them obvious with sound prompts or or visual prompts or anything. If that could all be included, then it has to be because you allow more people to enjoy your game. If you if you're telling me as an able-bodied gamer who only wants difficult like a hard mode on Dark Souls, if you can't ignore the accessibility options that are there and play it how you want to play it the problem isn't with the disabled gamers the problem is with you that you cannot play that game without going oh i need to maybe try these easy modes that's where the problem is uh, I, i've played like i've bounced off of dark souls before because i've got to a boss i just can't do my adhd goes i've tried this 10 times i can't be bothered now uh, whereas if i could skip it then I would push through and play to the end. You can turn around to me, you know, at the start, when you've got these accessibility options, goes, these are to help people with certain disabilities, whether they be mental or physical. If you want to play the pure experience, we suggest not using these and playing the game in its standard mode. But for anyone who needs the help, it is here. And that should be in every single game. Yeah, no, I agree entirely. Games are not a passive medium. So they're not, you know, if you're classing them as art, they're not a passive art form, you know? Yeah. Where you just, you you engage with them and then you decide whether you give that a thumbs up or a thumbs down. They're an active, interactive medium and therefore they should be, like you say, accessible for lots of people. Because... Uh, you know, let's just take the example of people playing Mario Blindfolded. They they find they're so good at the game, uh, and you know they they've adapted themselves so well to use the best parts of that game engine that sight is no longer required for them. Yeah, and that just shows that you can recontextualize how you engage with that game and still get enjoyment and still display skill. And there are loads of gamers out there who, you know, have different physical uh, adaptations than I do, but who would be a million times better at Forza Horizon 5 than me as a very, very average racing game player. So if you if they can't access the game because of just a, 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 an absence of something very, very simple to put in there, that's just terrible. And, you know, it's it, it's similar to the sort of the thing of having potentially trans characters, which is, you know, a really good thing, is that when you talk to people in your life, they may say, well, 
you'll go, oh, I watched such and such a programme the other day. It was great. Have you seen it? And they'd be like, no. And the reason behind that might be because of a lack of representation. I mean, it might not be. It might just be because they think it's crud, but and that's fine. But it could just be because it's like, well, it, it's got, you know, there's there's nothing in there for them. And the excuses for that, I think, are diminishing. Yes. You know, because it's it's not that, oh, well, oh, well, you know, that disabled people only make up a tiny percentage and trans people only make... It's like, well, no, they don't. They make up quite a large percentage of society. Yeah. And, you know, so it shouldn't just be that it's outsider art that is applicable to them. And it's just an ignorance. You know, I, I'm, I'm losing my... <laughs> no, I get, I get, I get, I get what you say, and um, with regards to sort of like trans characters, disabled characters, etc., etc. Um, weirdly, Hollyoaks is going to get a lot of mentions here, bizarrely. <laughs> There's way too many, but Hollyoaks does a really good job, I think, of this over the years, where they've had people in wheelchairs, they've had people with cerebral palsy, they've had trans characters, gay characters, everything. But the attention isn't brought to what makes them different. They just happen to be in a wheelchair, just happen to be gay. Um, There's the odd storyline that goes along with like gay characters and stuff like that. Um, but on the whole, it's not, oh, here's a disabled character. It's like, oh, here's a new character who's joined the cast. They just so happen to be in a wheelchair. And that's brilliant. I think, honestly, I mean, it's crap. Hollyoaks is crap. There's no denying it. But I think it does a really good job of inclusivity um, without without going sort of, uh, sort of like overboard with it. And I think what that does really well, the reason Hollyoaks gets away with it, one, it's on Channel 4, which has this remit of everyone's included anyway. Um, but also, it's not a traditional soap. It's only been around since like the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, something like that. Yeah. Whereas your Combination Streets and your EastEnders have got a legacy and it's a big deal, usually. You know, I remember it being a big deal when there was the first same-sex couples and stuff like that in those programmes. Um, and Hollyoaks, I think, okay, does a really, really good job. And the same comes with video games now. Um, I still think one of the best examples of inclusivity in a video game is Cardpocalypse, where the main character is in a wheelchair. And that's it. Just the main character's in a wheelchair. No big deal is made of it apart from where it makes sense. And it's not in a, oh, look, this character's in a wheelchair. It's just like along the lines of, oh, I can't get up here because of this or, or something like that. It's not a storyline beat or anything. And that's how it should be across all mediums. Uh, he said, you know, you know, Forza Horizon or any game where's an avatar, you know, how disabled, you know, are you disabled? Well, what's your disability? We'll put that in there. If you are, you know, and I think it would be a lovely touch that if you was um, said you're in a wheelchair, then they give you the steering wheel, even if it's a generic steering wheel at the moment, that's modified for people who are paralysed from the waist down. Because it's inclusive. You're the one driving the car. So why shouldn't you have the sort of steering wheel that you would have? Yeah. And the bigots who are trying to stop that, honestly, are the absolute worst. I know. I know. It's just crazy. It, it does. It's a reflection. The, the perception of it and the fact that not all developers, uh, well, publishers, have these things in their games, I think is, is at least partly because people are... are 
discriminated against in society, sort of institutionally as well. Yeah. Not so much, you know, the, well, they are, tr- we'll come to the trans thing in a minute, <laughs> but but it, it, talking about disability, it's still, it's still a crapshoot whether there's going to be ramps or other disability accessibility options to a building, even yeah. a building that was built within the last 10 years, five years, two years, built yesterday, you know, and it's like, this is a problem that has been solved. This is a, this is a problem with society rather than a problem with engineering. And as long as you can get away with those things in society and not have terrible opprobrium and the council shouting at you for, for just having a steep set of stairs going up to your new offices, yeah. that you're not going to have the producers of games uh, following suit in all in all cases and with trans it's 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 worse i think even in this country than it is in america and i think you know there's there's obviously a strain of bigotry everywhere and there's a strain of bigotry in america but i think because there's a very much kind of like well live how you want to live your life thing in america that people a little bit get a little bit tongue-tied around their bigotry when it comes to that because it's enshrined in their constitution that you can be whomever you want whereas over here it's far far worse and there's far much more transphobia in the uk really really terrible really really institutionally terrible for it um so it really does my heart good to see microsoft embrace having that in their game it's a big deal for me I think since Phil Spencer came back to Microsoft, he has done an amazing job of bringing them into into modern life on the gaming front. And I know it's often joke, you know, gaming can change the world, but I think we're seeing again it can, it really, really can, uh, because what gaming does, it doesn't go the we can't do this. It it goes well. What can't we do? What can we do to improve it? Yeah. Because I, I always look at society. I look at the government. And one of the questions is, why can't we eradicate homelessness? And it's like, well, we can't just go and eradicate homelessness. And I, I ask the question, why? Why not? We can't just give people homes to live in. Why not? Yeah. Why can't we give people homes to live in? Um, you know, again, I argue we've got so many empty shop fronts. We've got so many empty office buildings convert them just do what you've got to do rather than go but we can't do that because of the money well you can just let, let's just pretend the money doesn't exist to get the world straight again and then go back to your capitalist greed you know <laughs> elon musk is asking on twitter should i sell some of my shares to help end world hunger well why are you asking the question why sell your shares get your billions end world hunger do it why Why do you need to put it to a bloody vote? Because you know there's going to be bigots there going, well, the people can't afford their own food, they don't deserve it, and all crap like that. No, behave. Um, and it's, but as I said, we live in a world where we go, but we can't. But games still go, what can we do? And I think that will eventually bleed into it. My son, my daughter, you know, they're, they're, they're 4 and 14, two, 5 and 15. Um, and they're being exposed to more and more things in games that ask, why? Why can't we? What can we yeah. do instead? So hope, I, I, I'm still hopeful that the future generations will look at what we're doing now and go, tear all that up. Let's get this sorted. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's hopefully... Uh, it's kind of inevitable, I think. Yeah. Because 
you know everyone can just see it all happening around them and you know it might have to happen in a kind of violent way which you don't want but you know sometimes that's all that's required and yes protest has, yeah protest if they're not disruptive are not a protest and it's always the funniest thing where you hear someone going well they can protest but can't they do it in a more convenient way no that's not how it works the suffragettes were demonized for the way they protested now they're celebrated because what they did worked yeah plus also you know we're at a stage now oh, i know we're drifting off into politics <laughs> but sorry. it's kind kind of yeah, sorry it's kind of inevitable to a degree but we're at a stage now where there's the yeah, there's a peaceful protest uh, organised by women for women in London, and they are yeah. assaulted by I don't mean by to police. laugh at that. It's the, yeah, just knowing what that did. It's one of those, yeah, oops. Yeah, so it's just peaceful assembly is now getting violently broken up by the the, you know, the fascist bully boys. Yeah. So Unless yeah. you're a straight white male, you're going to get, you're going to get abused, unfortunately. Yeah, so it's... Yeah, even though it's one small corner of the earth and the world, <laughs> doing stuff like this in a video game does have a big impact. You're right. Yes. I just as an aside, I can't remember if I mentioned this last week, but I was um, when I was waiting for a bus, uh, there was loads of old people around, and it was this old fella turned around to a couple of other old people and started talking about David Attenborough. I turned around and went. He's such a doom monger, isn't he? And now you've got that bloody Greta Thunberg. So we're never going to hear the end of it. <laughs> just like, oh, you guys like, like the guys who say about 80 or something like that and going, what do you mean you're never going to hear the end of it? You'll be dead soon anyway. But yeah, <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard anyone complain about David Attenborough before. That's a first. That is an absolute first. Yeah. But also at that COP26 thing. Um, I think I found the one thing that would have probably stopped Boris Johnson ever getting elected again was if he had managed to give Attenborough COVID and Attenborough had died from COVID. I oh, think God, yeah. then that would have been the time to call a general election for Labour. Yeah, totally. Conservatives totally killed David Attenborough. You really want to vote for them? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, it's... Yeah, I'm not even getting into COP26 stuff because that was all really bizarre as well. But yeah, to end up, I mean, we went from sort of like playground games doing a good thing with accessibility all around the housing. So we'll bring it back. The sooner these sort of accessibility options become system-wide and the big three still need to get together and make this a thing that they do it on the system level. So for, as I said, for people with harder hearing we get vibration based prompts in on controllers for the visually impaired we get automatic palette options so we can have white text on dark backgrounds or automatically zoom in on text that kind of thing those options need to be system-wide across the board and the sooner that happens the better i completely agree yeah i think well i hope it's it's inevitable which would be great so yeah fingers crossed it'll be sooner rather than later yes uh but yeah no that's i i i've got nothing else left as i'll probably go into another 20 minute long monologue so i i, I i'm gonna um back out and head over to you Stu. 
<laughs> yeah, fair play. Yeah, I think there's a there's a big obviously friction between the people who've got to the end of late stage capitalism, like this isn't working and we need to do so much more to improve it and the fact that the internet has opened up our eyes to so many different you know, the things behind people's lifestyles rather than just the external exposure of people's lifestyles. And there's rubbing up against people who just want to keep things the way they are for their own benefit. And, you know, it feels like it's a real change. The real change is on the horizon. And I think it hopefully will be a really positive one. And, you know, this is what I I always cling to. I'm very hopeful about these things because I generally feel that people are genuinely quite nice. (laughs) I think that the majority of people are nice people. And I think that, you know, it is the systems that stop them reaching their potential and stop the world being the better place you know I th- yeah i still think some governments sit in there that their offices and everything and look at it just cement the whole day guide oh bloody scandinavia <laughs> yep <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. i can't stand finland <laughs> then no oh, hopelessness no. and universal basic income and showing <laughs> it worked ah! god damn you yeah, yeah no that's right if only Norman Reedus could come save us all, that's what I say. But until that day, until Reedus arrives like a god in a chariot, uh, hopefully everybody listening can uh, have a better time of things and stay safe and stay sane. Mm-hmm.